Well, in that tape, we saw how many women do what seems to be an impossible job. And today, as we turn in our Bible to Luke chapter 1, we're going to be looking at one mom who must have thought she had been given, indeed, the impossible job, as she was called to be the mother of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter 1, beginning in verses 26 through 38, we're told this uh, story of how Mary became a mother. It says, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming coming in, he said to her, Hail, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and with power, and the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has conceived a son in her old age. And she, and he, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bondslave of the Lord, be it done to me according to your words. And the angel departed from her. Now, most women here can remember that moment when you heard that you were going to become a mother. It may not have been as dramatic as Mary's, and yet for many of you, it was like Mary. Uh, You may have had a greatly anticipated event, but for others, it was a big surprise, wasn't it? And what you thought was originally the flu turned out to be a future son or daughter is the reason you were throwing up. Some of you may have been young like Mary. Now, Mary was most likely a teenager. In that day, women were married at a very young age and began their families early. She was engaged to Joseph. Now, she suddenly turns up pregnant. You have to remember that Joseph was a godly man, and he had kept his relationship with Mary pure. Once you were engaged, you were considered Mary. So when she turned up pregnant, Joseph had the option of having her stoned to death for infidelity. And yet we're told that he sought to quietly put her away. But then God intervenes and he lets Joseph know that Mary has indeed been faithful and that this is a miraculous child. All children are miracles and yet this one uh, would be the son of God that was conceived through God's Holy Spirit. Now while Joseph and the rest of us reading this know that, we know what happened. I want you to remember in Mary's day, the rumors were flying. There was this young girl pregnant in a village, and the rumors began about how she had been unfaithful. There were rumors that it might have been with a Roman soldier, other things. Even later in Jesus' life, you'll remember the taunts that they would level at him as, well, uh, you're an illegitimate child. Some of you can relate to Mary. You may have started very early in life, either a teenager becoming pregnant, maybe even an out-of-wedlock pregnancy. Others of us here don't share that story, and yet we have something from our past that we're not proud of. 
And you're wondering, as a parent today, whether a mom or a dad or somebody who wants to influence children, you're saying, what right do I have to tell people things when I've made mistakes in my own life? We've all made mistakes in our life. And that's why Jesus Christ came. That's why he came to die for us on the cross, to pay that penalty of sin that we owed, that penalty of death. And so if you're somebody here today who's made mistakes in your past, whether a mom, a dad, or somebody else, and you're wondering, what right do I have to talk to anybody? What I would recommend you do is begin talking to them about the forgiveness you found, the forgiveness for your past mistakes found through God's promised Messiah, the Son of God who came. And if you're somebody who's made those mistakes, you know, as you share that, you have, you have the ability to keep them from making the same mistakes you did. Friends, the tuition is a lot cheaper when somebody else pays the, the price, and you can tell them about the dumb taxes you've paid and, and help them avoid some of those same mistakes. Now, as you tell people about that forgiveness that you found, some of you here, maybe today Mother's Day is often a very difficult day. You know, preachers uh, face Mother's Day with fear and trembling, if you don't know that. First of all, we know that the moms come and say, this better be good. You better fill me up. This has got to last me all year. And so that's one level. The other is that I know that Mother's Day is a mixed bag for many individuals. It may be that um, you're somebody here who has lost your mom like I have. And so Mother's Day is just a reminder that this is a day where a great lady in your life is no longer with you. And so it's a time of sadness for some. For others, it's a time where maybe you say, my relationship with my mom wasn't what it should have been. And so this is not a day that you look at and want to honor a great lady in your life because you're saying, you know, she was a a person who made a lot of mistakes with me, and that's why I'm in lifelong therapy, right? And if you grew up in a situation like that, something we can do is forgive our moms because they are human just like us. They've made mistakes, and what we need to do is offer the forgiveness that we found through Jesus Christ. So this is a day where we can do that. For others, it's a day uh, where ladies are reminded that a desire they have in their life to have children of their own as they struggle with infertility. Uh, is, is, this is a day that is a reminder of that pain. My own wife and I went through that for more than a decade as we sought to have kids. For others, you may be a single woman and you're saying, my chances are slim to none unless something like what happened with Mary where the Holy Spirit overshadows me and I have a child because I'm, I'm not married. And so Mother's Day is a mixed day for many and I understand that. But as you look at a day like today and as you look at the life like Mary, uh, we find that she, she is somebody who can uh, remind us of God's great love for us, not only in giving us his son, but just in the things we see. As we look at Jesus' birth approaching, we see that things were difficult as well. Because the decree goes out uh, and says that they are to go to the city of the birth of the husband. Now, Joseph... Uh, could have traveled alone, but Mary, with all we've talked about, the background, he didn't want to leave her alone in that small village, so he takes her on the road. And pregnancy is difficult enough under the most ideal situations, but remember that she is uh, far along in her pregnancy, and she's loaded on a donkey, and she travels on back dusty roads over mountainous regions, and uh, as she's traveling, it's a very difficult situation. And when she gets to where she's going... Uh, remember that suddenly they were having the baby. And it wasn't like today where you could go to the hospital uh, and have that. Not all babies are born in hospitals. You all know that. 
when I was the policeman in Dallas one day, I was working and uh, a lady pulled up alongside me and was hysterically screaming that she needed a police escort. And I said, what's wrong? And she said, my daughter's having a baby. And she was hysterical and I knew it because I was riding a 21-speed mountain bike in downtown Dallas. <laughs> so when she asked for a police escort... I wasn't sure if she wanted me to hold on to the side view mirror and blow my whistle as she <laughs> raced up the highway. And, and I said to her, I said, you know, pull over to the curb here. Uh, there were a couple of fire stations in the central business district, so I thought an ambulance could get there quickly. And I come around to the back, I open the door, and indeed, here's a, a young teenager, uh, and she's having the baby. The baby's head is crowning. Now... They teach you in the police academy how to deliver babies because every year there are a couple of cops that do. And I thought, this isn't on my bucket list. Uh, <clears throat> but I put on my surgical gloves. I, you know, kneel down on the curb and I'm, you know, ready for the reception. And, uh, and I'm telling her, it's okay, just breathe. Don't push. Don't, oh, no, no, you don't need to push. Just breathe, you know. And I can hear the ambulance coming and I'm praying, you know, get him here. Well, the paramedics arrive, the guy comes walking up, I grabbed him, put him down on the street for the handoff, and I stepped back and the baby was born. You know, it doesn't always happen in a hospital. And as we're reading this story of Mary and Joseph, you know, there was no help coming. Remember that she and Joseph were alone in a stable when the baby was born. And when others did show up, it wasn't the usual collection of family and friends and others. You had shepherds the lowest of society showing up. And they had an amazing story. As they were talking, they shared how angels had appeared to them and announced the birth. In Luke two eighteen through 19, it says, And all who heard wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. As we're talking about the tough start of being a parent, I don't want you to miss this that we read here in verse 19. It says, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. You know, unfortunately, what many women ponder today is the latest posting on Facebook or Pinterest or some other site. So many moms uh, are inundated with these pictures that others put up of how great their kids are or how the latest, greatest project they made. And women who are already overwhelmed today are seeing these standards out there that they're saying, I just can't measure up to because my life is a mess. It's not like what people are posting on their Facebook pages. Now, unfortunately, what we forget sometimes is what are, we're being shown are those perfect moments. They don't put all the other messes that are going on. You've probably seen some of those little postings that say nailed it and it shows like the perfect picture and then it shows the person's attempt at it and it's just this disaster. You know, why don't we put more of that on Facebook or Pinterest or things like that? And so what happens is, again, moms are held to this standard and they're reminded over and over of how they seem to be falling short. And what they forget is that what they're looking at is not reality. Do you realize that sometimes people create a facade? Uh, some of the things that they're posting or saying uh, is not really what their world is. And as, as you are going through life, you need to unplug from that junk, ladies. And you need to find joy even in your own little messes. 
Now, I know that it's hard to do. As you go through your day-to-day life, you're looking just for some adult interaction. And so you look at those things that are online. And, and as you're looking at it, it's easy to miss in, the, in those moments what you should be treasuring. There are times you look around in your own home and you see the wreckage of the day. You had just cleaned a room and suddenly a tornado hits again. You just fixed something and it's broken again and there's another mess. And sometimes you look at that and you just go, is it ever going to end? And what we're called on to do here is like Mary, where we're to focus on these things and ponder them and treasure them. You know, as I say these things, I know it's hard. I know it's hard to do. Uh, I've, I've walked through my own house before and just seen a room that, you know, we just fixed an area of the house and the walls were freshly painted and I walked through there and there were scratches across the wall and the, the couch cushions were all over the floor and uh, they were ripped in a corner and I go, what in the world happened here? And I could have easily focused on the mess, but then what I did was instead I chose to remember what created that mess. As I remembered my three kids pulling the cushions off the couch and turning them sideways and turning them into horses. And they were, you know, having this trail ride through the the living room as they were banging up against the wall. And then those cushions became some tower and there was this war that took place as, you know, they were assaulting each other with their toys. and, and, And then they turned into some pirate ship or something and they had this big thing going on. And that's what we need to grab a hold of, parents. You know, there's a saying, you can raise kids or grass, but you can't raise both. And you have to decide as you go through life, what is most important? What are you building into? What are you getting to be privileged to be a part of? With our kids come messes, but also memories, if we will treasure up these things. As we look here at Luke chapter 2 and verses 21 through 24, it says, And when the eight days were completed before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days for their purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord that every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, if you know the Levitical law, in Leviticus chapter 12, what it actually says is that when a a firstborn son comes along, you are to offer a lamb, a year-old lamb that is to be offered. But if the parents are too poor, if they're in poverty, they could offer this secondary sacrifice that we read here. Of birds. And what we're told as we read this account of Jesus and his dedication is that this was a very poor family. They were below the poverty level. And what this means is theirs was a home without material abundance. They would have had the added pressure of parenting knowing that they were poor. I mean, think of how they feel as young parents coming to the temple in the moment of their pride and joy as they present their child to thank God for this baby. In the second service, we're going to have five babies that we dedicate up here. And what we do is we bring them before the congregation and we say, this is, this is a reminder of the gift of God to these families of these children. And they're making a commitment here in front of us as a church to raise these children to know and love the Lord. And it's a reminder to us as a church that we have a part in that. You saw this was just a little part of our church. That wasn't the youngest or the oldest of our kids. 
And we have hundreds of kids right now over in the children's building that many are serving and ministering to and helping disciple and grow up. And so these, as we do these dedications, it's a twofold, A, a thank you to God for his blessing of children, and then B, it's a reminder of our commitment to raise them to know and love the Lord. And that's what Mary and Joseph were doing. But as they come, in that moment of pride, they're reminded as they look around at all the other people dedicating their children who are bringing the more expensive offerings, that as parents, we don't have the means that they do. They would have the added financial pressure and can't provide what they wanted to give to their children. Some of you know what that is like. I know what that's like firsthand. I grew up in a, in a very poor family. There were six kids in my family. And you've heard the stories that I've told in the past. My dad was not able to keep a job, and so it really fell to my mom to provide for our family. And she did that by being a seamstress. And uh, she ran a a one-woman sewing shop out of the front of our house. And I remember watching three different dry cleaners would pull up, vans would pull up into our driveway every day, and they would bring in all these clothes. And my mom would do the hems and the zippers and the buttons and the different things, and the clothes were just piled up. And at a very early age, I learned how to use a seam ripper. I would take out broken zippers and buttons and things so my mom could focus on the other side. Of, of fixing these things. And I remember watching my mom on many days just crying. And it was because not only was she tired, but as she handled these clothes, clothes that were much nicer than she could give to our family, it was a reminder to her over and over that she couldn't give to us what other people had. And it was the same thing with food. I was, we didn't get to eat out a lot as, as kids. I was a teenager before the first time I ever ate in a, in a fast food restaurant. And when I went, it was like a Taco Bell, and I got the taco, and I went and I sat down. And as I opened it, I went back to the counter, and I said to the manager, there's something wrong with this. And he looks at me, he goes, what's wrong? And I said, well, it's all meat. You see, my mom would grate carrots and potatoes into the meat to stretch it to make a little bit of meat last for a family of eight. And the guy goes, kid, get out of here. What's wrong with you? I didn't know tacos could have all meat in them. You know, and yet as I look at my upbringing... I didn't miss a lot. We didn't have the same material possessions that a lot of people had, but my mom never made me feel poor. My mom always filled our needs with love. We didn't have the luxuries in life, but the love of my mom more than made up for what we were missing. And when it comes to your own homes, you have a choice, both moms and dads. You can be a thermometer or a thermostat. Do you know the difference between the two? A thermometer registers the temperature, but a thermostat controls the temperature. And you have the opportunity to not register what you're lacking, but you have an opportunity to control the temperature of your home and to set a standard for your kids, one of joy and thankfulness. There was a Reader's Digest article, and the lady who wrote it was named Jean Barron. And she was talking about her home. She said, we had an old mobile home. Uh, and she was raising a teenage son in this dilapidated mobile home. She said it was structurally unsound, the plumbing always leaked. She shared how she was embarrassed when her son would bring his friends over because of how meager their surroundings were. But then one day she was surprised to hear of her son's best friend who lived in a very nice home on another part of the community. She heard that he had run away. And she talked to her son, and she said, I was puzzled because he had all the material things anyone could want, so I asked my son, why? Why would he run away? 
And her son said, well, mom, uh, their home had a lot of environment, but not very much love. Friends, it's not about the environment in your home in terms of the physical surroundings. It's, in, it's what kind of love, what kind of example, what kind of home are you creating to raise and nurture your kids in? Most of us are pretty good about filling our homes with loves, the moms and even dads who are here, when things are missing. You know, many times uh, when things are missing, parents, especially moms, give up on those things themselves. One day there was a math class where the teacher asked her students, she said, Mike, suppose that um, a mother made an apple pie and there were nine of you at the table, your mother, your father, seven children, how much of the pie would you get? And the boy quickly replied, one-eighth. And she said, Mike, we're working on fractions and I thought you were good at this. Let me explain it again. He said, oh, no, no, I understand fully the problem, but I would get one-eighth, you see, because my mom would give up her piece to make sure the rest of us would get enough. And that's what moms do, isn't it? They give up so many things to make sure that we as kids and husbands and others get what they're willing to sacrifice. As you think about the sacrifices that your mom has made for you, uh, what have you done to show appreciation to her? You know, as I got my three kids up from uh, this morning to get ready for church, I was reminding each of them, do you have the Mother's Day card? Do you have the gifts? You know, let's get them on the table. And, you know, my nine-year-old son, it's right here, Daddy. I've been hiding it. He pulls it out proudly. You know, I get to my teenager, you know, who's going into high school, and she's like, I'm still working on it. I'm like, when we get home, <laughs> that's number one job to finish that for mom, right? You know, the Bible tells us to honor our father and mother. And this word honor is the Hebrew word kavod. And the word kavod literally means heavy. And it was used to describe a soldier as he would go into battle and as they would conquer and loot a city. They would pillage it and they would take all the wealth and the riches. And as they, the, the army would return, they would literally be loaded down carrying the loot. They were heavy with honor. And so this is the picture where we are to heap honor upon our mothers. And Mother's Day is one of those days where it happens, isn't it, ladies? You get loaded down with the cards and the trinkets and the little, little gifts that they buy. And we do all those things. And that's a wonderful thing for us to do. And yet what the Bible tells us is it should not be limited just to this one day a year. That we are to honor our mother and father throughout the year. As you think about Mary... And, and the honor that was bestowed upon her. We've been told that she's called blessed among women. And, and yet, as you think about how blessed Mary was, you're thinking, well, you know, it's kind of easy for her. She raised the perfect child. Jesus was sinless, right? But I want to remind you that the Bible tells us that Mary had other children with Joseph. After Jesus was born, they had other children that came along, and they were not all perfect. In fact, there was a, a sibling rivalry going on in the home. Imagine what that was like, Mary. You know, Mom, you love Jesus more than the rest of us because you say he's the son of God. I mean, how would you like to deal with that in the home growing up? And we see there was this sibling rivalry. They would taunt Jesus. Remember that early on, the siblings didn't believe in Jesus as the Messiah. They would say to Jesus, you know, go show yourself at the temple, do that God thing, you know, do some miracles. And there was not this, there was this constant battle in the home and Mary was in the middle of it. 
Now, as parents, we pray that our children would come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And as we read the scripture, we see that happen later. The book of James was written by one of Jesus' half-brothers that came to understand who Jesus was and came to faith in him. Now, other times people say, well, you know, Mary had it easy because she had a godly husband like Joseph. And that was true. And men, that's a reminder to us of what a blessing we can be to our wives and our children. You know, we read through the scriptures about Joseph taking his family to the temple to worship. We read about Joseph being there as an influence in the life of Jesus. But what you may not realize is that somewhere along the way, Mary faced what far too many women today face, and that's that she became a single mother. We're not told the details in the pages of scripture, but sometime after Jesus was about 12, Joseph disappears from the pages of scripture, and Mary becomes a single mother. How he died, what happened, isn't recorded for us. But remember that when Jesus was there dying on the cross, which again is an example to us of how to honor our moms, remember that at that moment of history where the weight of the world, the sin of the world was upon Jesus as he was standing at the edge of eternity and doing this spiritual battle, his mom was on his mind, wasn't she? He gave us a picture of what true honor looks like. At that moment, he made sure that his earthly mother would be cared for. As he said, he looked at his beloved disciple John and he said, Behold your mother Mary. Mary, behold your son. He was making sure at that moment that she would be taken care of because Joseph, her husband, was gone. So as we look at the life of Mary, she was one who faced a lot of difficult things. Raising kids is hard enough when you have help. But some of you here this morning are ladies that are doing double duty. It could be because of the death of your husband. It could be because of a divorce. It could be that you're married, but you're in a military family where your spouse is deployed. And this happens also to men. There are times that it's the wife that is deployed. And so you're doing double duty. And I want to thank you for all that you're doing. If people haven't told you thank you recently, I want to tell you thank you. I want to thank all of you for being here today. I know how hard it is to get up on a Sunday morning and get the family going and get them out the door, get them all dressed and then, you know, bring them here to church. And you do that week in and week out. And what you're doing is you're building into the life of your kids and you're showing them what is most important. As we look at what is happening, we see that we all have help here through God himself. As we come to Christ and we come to church, there are benefits, like what we find in Luke one thirty-five. There it says, the angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. Now we know Mary had a miraculous conception. But whether you realize it or not, each of you as believers here are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 3.16 tells us, Do you not know that your body is a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells within you? You and I as Christians have God's Holy Spirit resident within us to help us. You know, the Bible calls the Holy Spirit our comforter. One day there was a young mother. She had two daughters. Uh, One was three and the other was two. And she says they loved playing in the blankets and the bedspread as she would try to change the sheets. You, 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 as parents, know what this is like. They're in there, you know, in the midst of it. And she said they'd be jumping around while she's trying to get the bed made. And she said that her, her uh, older of the two daughters would call to her sister and say, Jump into the Holy Spirit, Becky. 
And the mother says, I kept wondering, why would she say this? And so that night her husband was home and, and he, he, she related the story and said, I don't understand what she was doing. And the husband said, do you remember at Vacation Bible School how our kids were learning about God and they were told that the Holy Spirit is the comforter? <laughs> and she said that that gave her a beautiful picture of her daughter jumping into the comforter. And parents, as you're here today, uh, you may be dead tired. You may feel like you're in over your head. And what I want to tell you today is jump into the comforter. That means take a nap if you have to. But it also means remembering that you have the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit to help you, even in those difficult times. And you know, sometimes as a parent, your kids are wailing and crying, and you're, you're going, what's wrong? I can't understand. Tell me does, what's hurting. What's wrong? And, you know, sometimes as adults, we're just like our children, aren't we? We're hurting and we're wailing and we're crying and we don't even know how to say what's going on, what's wrong with us. And in those moments having the Holy Spirit within us, the Bible tells us that he's there to help us. Romans 8.26 says, In the same way the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. You see, God's Holy Spirit can intercede for you. He can translate your prayers to God. In those times where you say, God, I want to kill these kids, what he really translates it into is a prayer of, God, I need your help in raising these kids. Thank you for the gift, but I need an extra gift right now to be able to help them. In Hebrews 10.25, we're told not to forsake our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as we see the day approaching. And what that's speaking of is how we as Christians come together at church, where we encourage, where we surround and support one another. I was at a, a, an event yesterday with our small group. Our, my family's part of one of the small groups in our church, and we had five families that gathered just for a, an afternoon, a day together, and we were doing some fun things together, and, and the moms were huddled up talking, and the dads were, and at times we were interacting, and you know we had a boatload of kids literally that were there. And it was, it was great just to be that iron sharpening, iron influence in the lives of one another. Just to say, you know, you're not alone. We're in it together. To hear moms talking, saying, do you really want to kill your kids some days? I do too. And, you know, even you, you're the pastor's wife. And, oh, well, we're, you know, and those are the kind of things that happen. And so you get around each other and you're strengthened and you're encouraged and you share tips and you're able to help each other. It's why we as a church have ministries like MOPS, the Mothers of Preschooler program, to get these young moms that feel overwhelmed and don't know what they're doing to come together and not only be around other ladies who can say, I share your struggle, but also to get older ladies who are mentor moms to come alongside and help them with some of the struggles. I mentioned recently some of the mentor couples in our Young Married Adult Bible Fellowship. Same thing, those of you who are there to kind of help And as you enter into some of those teenage years, you get around that. We have small groups that are made up of empty nesters. And they all celebrate how they survived uh, raising their children. And as they move into that, that period where they're having grandchildren, it gives you an opportunity to have a group you can brag to about how your child is smarter than theirs, right? I saw a bumper sticker once, and it said, Grandchildren are God's reward for not killing your own children. So for those of you who have entered that stage as grandparents, congratulations, you made it. 
And uh, now you can help. And I know some of you as grandparents are saying, but Roger, I'm not an empty nester. I'm on to that second generation of raising my kids because my adult children are not really doing their job. And I've stepped back into the role of mother and father. And again, I want to thank you for your impact on that next generation, for being willing to step in and go that extra mile and yet again strengthen and encourage. And we as a church are here to help you, to tell you you're not going it alone, to provide as much support as we can for you. In Luke one thirty six, we see that Mary had a close friend and a relative named Elizabeth. And she went to see Elizabeth. When Mary herself found out she was pregnant, she went over. And as she went to visit Elizabeth, she was an older woman who had been blessed with a miraculous pregnancy of her own. She was carrying John the Baptist, the forerunner of the Messiah, the prophet who would announce the coming of God's son. But Elizabeth was there to be a blessing to Mary, to encourage her, to to help her along the journey. And we live in a day and age where many of you realize this. Families today are spread out all over the U.S., We have a lot of families in our church that don't have grandparents resident in the city. And what is wonderful about, again, being a part of a church is how so many times those of you who are in that older generation can be surrogate grandparents to the kids. I watch little kids getting hugs from white-haired people that they don't get to see in their own life. My own kids have benefited in every church we've pastored. Uh, They've had kind of surrogate grandmas and grandpas. And these are people who can come alongside and and love our kids. And that's what many of you do. So I want to thank you not only for my own family, but for others. And so we see again the blessing of being in a body here. The final blessing I want to mention this morning is what we see when Mary was asked, will you be a part of my plan by giving birth to the Messiah? And she says in Luke 138, behold, the bondservant of the Lord, May it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Parents, do you realize that you're that important in the life of children, that you get to be a part of God's eternal plan? Do you realize that God thought mothers were so important that he made sure that his son would have one? And you may think, well, Roger, that's kind of a trivial statement, isn't it? I mean, Jesus had to be fully man. May I remind you that Adam and Eve were fully human, and they didn't have an earthly mother. God could have, in his own ability, created Jesus to be fully man and fully God, and yet what he did was he made sure that Jesus would have an earthly mother, somebody to love and nurture the son. And men, your role is just as important as you see that God made sure that Joseph was a stand-in and a stepdad to help nurture and train up this, this young boy into seeing what it meant to be a godly man. And so that is what God has given all of us the privilege of being who are parents. Moms, I know there are times there are messes. I know there are times you're at the end of your rope. But I want to remind you that you get to share in God's eternal plan of raising these eternal beings called children. James Keller says, Every mother has the breathtaking privilege of sharing with God in the creation of new life She helps bring into existence a soul that will last for all eternity. Moms, you make a lot of sacrifices. And I want to remind you that they matter. Not just in the earthly life of your children, but for all eternity. So thank you for all that you do for us. And happy Mother's Day. Will you pray with me, please?
Lord God, we do thank you for our moms. We thank you for these women who are frail and fallen and who make mistakes. And yet, God, in the midst of all of that, we thank you for their great love, their sacrificial love that they show so often. And the little things that they do in taking care of the day-to-day details of life, making sure that there are clean clothes and food on the table and uh, a shoulder to hug and wiping away tears and the, the tough times of life, to those who get to share in the joys of life, the little things and the big things. So we thank you, God, for each of our moms that are here. For those of us who have moms that are still living, may we be those who honor them. Would we pick up the phone and call them today if they're far away, or would we give them an extra hug and uh, just let them know today that they're special? But as we honor our moms, would it not just be limited to this one day a year? Would we do it all throughout the days of our life and theirs? Again, Lord, we thank you for the blessing of these moms in our lives. So it's in your precious name that we thank you and pray. Amen. Happy Mother's Day. You're dismissed.